Hello, and welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me, as always, on this lovely August afternoon, David Dixon. David, how's it going? Kelly, I'm doing fantastic. I'm, I'm down at the beach in your home state of New Jersey, just enjoying the weather and getting ready for the start of football season. Nothing better than a day at the beach. I just got back. I had lunch today with Jordan Sears. He is going to embark on his career in professional basketball. As he starts, he's leaving Thursday to begin as an assistant video coordinator for the Milwaukee Bucks. We broke the news. We tweeted it out. It was a double-double bomb. We did. We broke the news. It, just, it, was our, it was our formal warning to Woj that we're coming after him. That uh, it was the first double-double bomb, and it made a huge impact. We got a career high for the Twitter account and likes. And retweets, so brick by brick, and I think Woe should start looking over his shoulder. He's got some comp. It's Shams and then us at the double-double. So today we're going to talk a little college football. As crazy as it sounds, the regular season kicks off two weeks from today, actually. Florida and Miami square off, and David and I put together a list of a couple of guys who were interested in keeping an eye on in this college football season yeah so these are just some names that we have our eyes on some guys around the country and you know everyone's going to have their eyes on Tua down at alabama or trevor lawrence at clemson so we try to do not the typical picks here so so the first guy who i want to highlight is jake Fromm from georgia kind of the forgotten man Down there, he was also a true freshman who led Georgia to the national championship game two seasons ago and played pretty well, I thought. And he was awesome last year. He he threw about 30 touchdowns. And he kind of forced uh, Justin Fields to transfer. So for those who didn't know, coming out of high school, going into last year's season, Justin Fields was from Georgia and was ranked higher than another Georgia high school quarterback who went to Clemson named Trevor Lawrence. And Fromm won the job and eventually forced Fields to transfer. And I think Fromm leading Georgia, not not only is Fromm in for a big season and could force his way into the top 10 in the NFL draft, but could get Georgia back to the college football playoff. Fromm did beat out Fields, as you said. And in Fromm's freshman season, he was going toe-to-toe in a quarterback competition with Jacob Eason, who was also a highly touted recruit. And Fromm won that battle. And Jacob Eason is now quarterbacking the Washington Huskies. I like Jake Fromm. I think he's solid. He's consistent. I don't think he's going to do anything spectacular. But with the amount of athletes that Georgia has on that team, they don't really need anything crazy from their quarterback play. They just need some guy who's going to make good decisions, put the ball in the right spot, and really just manage the game. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Aaron Murray. Fromm made a big jump from year one to year two, so if he can make a similar jump this year, Georgia's going to be good. And the real battle will be to see, because the SEC is so brutal, it will be to see if he can get over the hump against Alabama. So he obviously loses to Alabama in the national championship game as a true freshman. And then in the SEC championship game last year, as a sophomore, he played really well through 300 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, kept him in it the whole time. And Jalen Hurts was able to to win the game for Alabama. But Fromm brought those brought that Georgia Bulldogs team right there, and they were in the hunt the whole time. And 
for a college football playoff spot. So if they can get back in the playoff, I think it'll be a really, really test, big testament to just how good Fromm is and just how good that Georgia program is. Because they're, they're kind of like that, that forgotten team that isn't talked that much about in the SEC because it's usually, obviously, everyone talks about Alabama. LSU gets a lot of talk. People love talking about uh, Florida and Auburn and what's going on with Tennessee. But but Georgia, I feel like, doesn't get the the national credit that they deserve sometimes. I agree, and I don't think Kirby Smart gets the respect he deserves either. He spent six or eight years under Nick Saban as his defensive coordinator, and since taking over at Georgia, they've been a consistent title contender. So the next guy, David, you kind of already alluded to him, Justin Fields. He is going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. He was the number one overall recruit in the 2018 class. He stayed in-state, went to Georgia, and got stuck behind Jake Fromm, transferred to Ohio State where he is eligible immediately, and now Urban Meyer's gone, Ryan Day's the head coach. Ohio State is absolutely loaded, as they usually are, with talent on both sides of the ball. They just have some questions at quarterback after Haskins departed and now playing for the Washington Redskins. But I'm really, I'm curious to see if Justin Fields is the real deal. He's been hyped up. You see him all over social media. As you mentioned, he was ranked higher than Trevor Lawrence. So the expectations are sky high. I'm just excited to actually get a chance to see him play. Yeah, you know, the the thing about Fields is he's going to a program that is in transition right now because you had... As you mentioned, Urban Meyer is no longer the coach, so Ryan Day is now the new man in charge out in Columbus. And it'll be really interesting to see what, what Fields can do because Fields is essentially a redshirt freshman almost because he, even though he last year he didn't play, and by transferring this, this is really his first year, and we'll, it'll be a real testament to see just how good of a coach Ryan Day is and if it was a smart decision to leave Georgia anyway, because he's Fields has to be thinking that he's better than Trevor Lawrence, right? Like his whole career in high school, he was considered and proved to be better than Lawrence based on all the rankings and stuff. And then Lawrence goes out and wins the national championship. So Fields has to be thinking that if he had that opportunity, he would be able to compete for a national championship as well. What do you think about just the Big Ten this year? I mean, those divisions are so imbalanced, but... Between Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, who do you see kind of coming out on top of those three and playing in the Big Ten championship game? Hmm. You know, that's really tough. I I think Michigan is the one that, that gets over the hump this year. I think that they will finally, I think Harbaugh will finally be able to win the big game against Ohio State. And I think that they're just, they're just more experienced. Shea Patterson is just more experienced than Justin Fields. He may not be as talented on paper, but I think he's just more experienced. And I think this is the year that Harbaugh, that Harbaugh is able to do it as Ryan Day adjusts in this one year. I think I could trust Shea Fitzpatrick in big spots, kind of like you said. He's not as talented as Fields, but he's seasoned, he's experienced, he's polished. And this season, there's a lot of pressure on Jim Harbaugh. I think he has to deliver. Justin Fields, if he's special, I think that is the way in which Ohio State could possibly overcome that hurdle up in Ann Arbor. But if I had to wager on a team in the Big Ten to make the college football playoff, I think I'd go with Michigan. And the thing about Fields, too, is that it may not be this season, but Fields is the type of guy whose talent could put him in a legitimate Heisman Trophy 
uh, contention because just the way that he can throw the ball, he can move. He'll playing for a great program in Ohio State where they'll put up a lot of points playing that spread offense. So it'll be it'll be a chance for him to put up a lot of points and get really great stats. So. He has all the opportunity in the world. It's now up to Justin Fields to go out and seize it. And so another quarterback who kind of fits that mold that you were talking about, that dual threat kind of quarterback, is Jalen Hurts, who's now quarterbacking at Oklahoma, following in the footsteps of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, who both led the Sooners to the college football playoff, won Heisman trophies, and ended up being the number one overall pick in their respective drafts. So really anyone following them, would be must-see TV, but given that it's now Jalen Hurts and the success that he had at Alabama, I mean, here's a guy, he comes in as a true freshman and throws for nearly 3,000 yards and and runs for nearly 1,000 more and 36 total touchdowns. As a sophomore, he goes out, throws only one interception, but has Tua breathing down his neck all season. And then in the national championship that year against Georgia, They fall down early. At halftime, Saban goes to the bullpen, brings in the flying Hawaiian, and Tua wins them the national championship. And kind of along the way, I feel Jalen handled it really well. You know, he embraced the role as a backup, was a good teammate. He got his chance in the SEC title game. But I think it's pretty obvious he's not as talented as Baker or Kyler. But kind of how we spoke of Shea Fitzpatrick, he's experienced, he's polished, and I'm just interested to see how he fares at Oklahoma paired with with Lincoln Riley and in that offense. I think the other really interesting comparison that you can make with Jalen Hurts to those two guys you mentioned, Mayfield and Murray, is that all three have transferred to Oklahoma. None of them started their careers at Oklahoma. Uh, they all started somewhere else. And so maybe... You know, as as we're talking about all these great quarterbacks, maybe the question should be: Can Lincoln Riley recruit a quarterback out of high school, or is he just picking apart like the transfer market the way Mark Few and Gonzaga do in basketball? Who knows? But what what they're getting in Hertz is just a really composed, really mature, not just young quarterback, but just young man who who could have like as a twenty year old, I think, because he was a true freshman when they won the national championship the first time against Columbus. So he's like 21, I think, or 20. He goes out and he basically gets benched on the biggest stage and your replacement goes out and wins it and is praised as the hero. Like, in this modern era of college athletics, he very easily could have jumped ship after that that game and could have ended up at a very similar school to Oklahoma. But he stuck it out. He trained. He fought for, his, for that job. And even though Tua won it... He still grinded and put in the preparation every week to be the most prepared so that when his number was called, when Tua got hurt, he was ready to step in and play and not just play to help his team, but help himself too. What do you make of the Sooners this season? Because I feel like they have the system offensively to thrive pretty much regardless of circumstance or honestly even opponent, but their defense, like so many Big 12 defenses is a question mark and I'm just not sure when they inevitably go up against the Alabamas or the Clemsons or the LSUs do they have the the guys and the size and the speed defensively to keep up that's something I don't know I think that's a really tough question because when you look at who Oklahoma's played 
the last two years in the playoff. They played Georgia in that Rose Bowl game, which was an all-time classic. They very easily could have won that game. And then you run into the Alabama team last year who, as you're saying, who physically their defensive line just overwhelmed the Sooners up front. But that wasn't really the case two years ago. So I think it just has to do with just the personnel year to year that they're more dependent, as you're saying, on maybe an older group of offensive and defensive linemen. And they're not just like every year you can pencil them in for just having a dominant O-line and D-line with six guys going to the NFL. I think that the biggest question going for Oklahoma, though, is, as you said, the Big 12 is an air raid, spread, pass-happy conference. And Jalen Hurts has never had to has has never had the opportunity to play in that type of system before. He was very, I don't want to say limited, but Saban really controlled so much of the offense and made it not necessarily pro style, but very traditional smash mouth football. And Hurts never really had the chance to throw the ball forty to fifty times a game like he will this year under Lincoln Riley. Saban only really loosened the reins under Tua. And it'll be interesting to see what Hertz can do with the freedom that Lincoln Riley will seemingly provide for him, because that could be absolutely fantastic and he could dominate, or it could go the opposite way as, hey, this guy maybe isn't a spread quarterback. He's a more traditional quarterback, more of a game manager. It's incredible to see how fast people in the football world have come to grow, appreciate, and just respect the job Lincoln Riley's done. Here's a guy who's in his mid-30s. Three years ago, no one really knew who he was. He was the offensive coordinator on a Bob Stoops-led team. And now here he is, probably one of the hottest coaches in the country. Personally, I think it's an inevitability that sooner or later, he will wind up with an NFL coaching job. Do you agree? I want to agree with you. But I also think that it's really hard to, turn, to to leave a school like that because you know how they say, uh, you know how like in college professors, they get tenure and then like they just never want to leave and they don't really ever have to leave. Once you get a job like Oklahoma, it's basically like you're a tenured coach. So as long as he keeps performing because he's so young that it feels like he'll He'll never have to leave if, if he wanted to. He could keep just restructuring his contract to get more and more money. The finances aren't a problem. I think it's the only thing is if he ever wants to just leave Norman, Oklahoma and just have another type of lifestyle, maybe if the LA Chargers come calling in four years or with Miami, like he just wants to live in a different place. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I want to talk about another guy in, in the Big 12, Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger. All right. This dude is feisty. He's got a big personality. I just kind of want to see what what you think about because he's you know he he's been the guy who's saying oh he's bringing Texas football back and and all this stuff. But I, I just kind of want to hear your thoughts first. I'm not sure how he projects at the NFL level, but we're talking about college football. I can say I really enjoy watching him play, not to the level, but as I watch him, I'm kind of reminded of Tim Tebow just in terms of his ability to a lead a team but also his dynamic ability as a passer and a runner and basically he's a bulldozer on the goal line is I don't like comparing anyone to Tim Tebow because he was so special but is is that crazy 
No, but I don't hate it. I just see a guy who's, as you said, got a big chip on his shoulder, plays the game really, really hard, and and I just see a guy who is just fundamentally really, really good. And I don't know if he should be the called the savior of Texas football because I don't really know if I don't really know if if that's accurate because I think that's so much pressure to put on on one kid because then if they lose once in week three. That means it's like, oh, he's a failure, and Texas still stinks, and Tom Herman should be fired. I think that they just have such unrealistic ex- expectations down there that unless Sam, unless Ellinger goes out and wins the Heisman and gets them to the college football playoff, that like somehow he's a disappointment. Texas hasn't really been relevant since like probably Colt McCoy. But like that's the thing. It's like all right, since Colt McCoy, what year was that? That was two thousand what nine. Because that was because because they famously lost that game to Michael Crabtree with the Mike Leach Texas Tech team, but so it's 2019. It's still been at least eight years of them not having a seemingly productive, super, super productive quarterback on a national level. All right, Dave. The next guy I want to hit on, he might be my Heisman pick, and that's Jonathan Taylor. He was not a highly touted recruit. He was the 41st ranked running back in the 2017 recruiting class. He's from Jersey, and he elected to play at Wisconsin. From day one, he starts as a freshman behind one of the best offensive lines in the country. He runs for 1,977 yards and 13 scores his first year. Follows that up last season with 2,194 rushing yards and 16 touchdowns. Over the course of his two seasons in Madison, he's had a grand total of 16 catches, but who cares? I mean, besides the NFL scouts, but listen to this. Jonathan Taylor is currently 103rd all-time in NCAA history with 4,171 rushing yards. That's after two seasons. So if he runs for his average, which is just over 2,000 yards this coming season, he'd crack the all-time top five NCAA rushing list this season. And the record is Ron Dane, who also happens to be a Wisconsin Badger. Ron Dane ran for 7,125 yards. Now, I don't think Taylor will break that record, but if he comes back for his senior season, he'll demolish it. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor is exceptional. There's just no way you could describe it any differently. The dudes had like 300 attempts in each season, and they just run him. You you would think, oh, eventually they'll just run him into the ground, but he doesn't get tackled clearly enough. He 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 averages like seven yards a carry. It's absurd. And yes, he gets to play in front of such a great offensive line. Someone needs to do a case study analysis or a deep dive article onto how Wisconsin. Offensive lines are so good year in and year out. Like, how do they always have these dudes who are just maulers up front? Because didn't because th- this guy's really good, and then they had Melvin Gordon, and they said all these great running backs. It's just unbelievable. They are running back university. And Jonathan Taylor's doing all this in the Big Ten. This is a conference that prides itself 
on its line play and its physicality. And granted, Wisconsin has one of the best offensive lines in the entire country, and it seems like they have had that for a while. But to do it in the Big Ten Conference is crazy. A lot of times in college football, you see it in the mid-major conferences. You see it in the in Conference USA. You see it in the MAC. You see it in the Mountain West, right? These guys who put up just these crazy numbers, like Case Keenum, what he was doing at the University of Houston before Houston really took that leap when he threw for so many yards or and all those touchdowns. He wasn't doing that in the Pac-12 or the SEC or the Big Ten. But when you see these guys who put up these crazy, crazy stats in these major Power Five conferences... You really wonder, like, if you took Jonathan Taylor and put him on Bowling Green, how much, how many yards do you think he would run for? 2,500? I think it's impossible to answer a question like that because a running back in his offensive line, I feel like it's part and parcel, right? Especially at Wisconsin, there have been many great running backs before him, and the offensive line play has been stout, and that's been a constant. So to look at a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who, as I said, was rated as the 41st best running back in his recruiting class, it's tough to make an accurate or a fair assessment of how he would be in a different situation just because Wisconsin is, is where he is and it's, it's where he's always been. I think those are all really interesting points that you made, and I think they're all very true. It's, it's hard to take, especially the football is the ultimate team sport. So to take any one guy, because it's so much of his successes due to the guys who are around him, but about his NFL potential, you know, we seek almost like a running back revolution or running back starting to get taken really high again, starting with McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley and, and all these guys. So if Taylor goes out and runs for another like 2,000 yards, you think he's a first round pick? He doesn't catch the ball very well, but do you think he's a first round pick? I don't. I don't think he is a first-round pick. I think his body, the wear and tear, they'll hold that against him. I don't think he runs great. So his 40 time, I don't know, 4-5, four, 4-6. Four, but the way the NFL is going, I mentioned he had 16 catches over the course of his career. He's not much of a dual threat. If Jonathan Taylor's in the game, you know they're probably going to be running the ball. So I think that's going to be held against him. But nowadays, if you're looking at a first-round pick, it's almost like an offensive weapon that just happens to play running back. You mentioned McCaffrey and Saquon and Kamara. These guys all are able to not necessarily line up as a wide receiver, although they can, but make plays in the passing game as a wide receiver would, and I just don't think Jonathan Taylor can do that. Yeah, that those are all good points. I wish he could be a first-round pick, but I think he'll probably be a, a day-two selection. All right, there was another running back you wanted to hit on, right, Dave? Yeah, from from the ACC, A.J. Dillon out of Boston College. This dude is supremely talented, had a bit of a down year last year compared to his, his first year. He's a junior, and I think similarly to, to Taylor is that he's a guy who doesn't really catch passes that much, but... He's is the team's offense. And I think in the ACC, it's really interesting. Again, it's like he's putting up these crazy numbers and kind of Boston College goes as he goes. And I think it'll be really interesting to see if they're able to make any dents in the ACC this year because they usually play good defense. And they're big guys, good blockers who run the ball. And if Dylan can run for 1,700 yards this year, I think they could be really good. He's a big boy too, six feet, 250 pounds. 
So he's a punishing running back. Yes, punishing running back. I think Boston College could also be a team this year that sneaks up on some people. Obviously, we spoke about A.J. Dillon. It seems like since Matt Ryan left, they've always kind of been struggling looking for that quarterback. But the ACC, obviously Clemson's been on the throne of late. Syracuse finished last season strong, so it looks like they'll start in the top 15 or top 20. Miami's been on the upswing of late, but now Mark Richt jumped ship, so it'll be interesting to see, but I think Boston College could make some noise this season. For sure. and The, the ACC kind of is, especially as Florida State seemingly is taking a step back, it's Clemson and, and who else, right? It's Clemson and who? And I think BC with Dylan could really challenge them for maybe not actually on the field, but they could challenge them in the standings. And the next guy who I want to just briefly touch on, another ACC guy, true freshman last year, Justin Ross, Clemson wide receiver. He was awesome in the national championship game, made huge plays. And I think he can has a chance to really set the whole nation on fire this year because he's 6'4". He's got the best, one of the two best quarterbacks in the whole country in Trevor Lawrence. And last year he had 1,000 yards on 46 catches. I think because they're going to be throwing the ball a lot with Lawrence, I think he could have 70 catches for 1,600 yards. I think this dude is sensational. Oh, I think he's legit. And I didn't, I didn't really get to see much of him last season until that national championship game. And just some of the catches he was making on all SEC guys and guys who have futures in the NFL, he was making it look like he was playing in the backyard with a bunch of middle schoolers. And he was doing this as a freshman. It was crazy. And then across the field, Jerry Judy, Alabama's top wideout. I've seen him projected to be the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft. And Julio Jones played wide receiver at Alabama. And I've heard people say that Jerry Judy is the most talented wide receiver Alabama has ever had. So the skill positions at these two schools are crazy. Oh, it's ridiculous. Just the skill position talent that these guys have. It's not just great defenses. It's not just great quarterbacks. But it's the fact that Justin Ross and Jerry Judy, you're, these are the the next generation of great wide receivers. They're both humongous. They're both really fast, and they both have awesome quarterbacks. And so the numbers that they could put up this year, because Julio Jones and uh, Calvin Ridley and those guys at Alabama, those 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 great receivers, didn't have the quarterback that, that uh, Jerry Judy has in Tua. And... So the numbers he could put up this year with Tua as a junior could be numbers that we haven't ever seen before for the wide receiver position. Yeah, they have a chance to put up some ridiculous numbers. And it's kind of funny to see Alabama now so dynamic and potent offensively. After much of Saban's run, they've been a a defensive-oriented team that will score enough to win but not really light up the scoreboard or have the ability to drop 50 and Last year and and this year, it appears they do have the ability to do so. The last guy I want to talk about, David, is Khalil Tate. He's the quarterback for Arizona. He had a crazy 2017 season his sophomore year. He was a respectable passer, but he averaged 130 yards rushing a game. He had a stretch where he ran for 327 and 230 yards in back-to-back weeks. And this was the year after Lamar Jackson won the Heisman. And there was 
like legitimate conversation at the time as to who was a more dynamic quarterback. Then last season, Arizona underwent a coaching change and Kevin Sumlin came in and took over and Tate actually improved as a passer, but was limited as a runner and he actually only totaled 224 yards rushing on the ground. And I'm curious as to which Khalil Tate shows up. It's going to be his second season under the tutelage of Kevin Sumlin. And yeah, he struggled in year one with someone at the helm. But Kevin Sumlin has a very, very good track record with quarterbacks. Coach Case Keenum, who broke a ton of records at Houston. Obviously, he was with Johnny Manziel at AM. The Pac-12 is down across the board, and I'm not saying Arizona will be a contender, but they'll definitely be worth watching with Khalil Tate. The numbers could be outstanding. I don't know how it will translate to victories, but the numbers have a real chance to be just bonkers. And part of that is, this, as you're saying, it's Kevin Sumlin, very good quarterback coach. And it's also because the dude is just supremely talented. And it'll be, you know, he gets the benefit of great weather, down ish conference of a Power Five conference. It's probably the weakest. And he's. He gets to use his talent of he he's the guy who's going to have to score all these points for Arizona for them to really compete. So that means he's going to have a lot of leeway, a lot of leash, a lot of chances to make plays, which is all bodes well for a huge statistical season. And in the Pac-12, it's as we mentioned, it's it's somewhat down. But two other teams that I'm just kind of keeping a close eye on because. I think both coaches are just offensive gurus. Chip Kelly at UCLA, they have so much young talent, and I think it's just a matter of time before they're really kind of what Oregon was when Chip Kelly was up in Eugene. I think it's just a matter of time before UCLA becomes that. And then the other team is Mike Leach up at Washington State. I just think he's an offensive guru he had Gardner Minshew last year who's now on the Jaguars I mean he hasn't had a top 30 or top 40 recruiting class since he's been at Washington State and every year they're seemingly you know in the top 15 or top 20 so I think those are two other teams to keep your eye on in the Pac-12 for sure the the Pac-12 is really interesting because they for so many years with Chip Kelly at Oregon and USC and they had a lot of talent and now it's Washington and Washington State. It's it's not traditional powers. USC, everyone wants to be back, but they're always you know good and then take it one step forward, two step back, two steps forward, three steps back. And it'll be really interesting to see what UCLA is this year under Chip Kelly's second year, what he's able to do there, because that should be a school that should be able to recruit really well. It's in Los Angeles, great school, great facilities, and. I don't know. It'll be interesting to, to have some more excitement for the 10 p.m. East Coast kickoffs. All right, let's 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 wrap up with this, David. One bold prediction each. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go? Take it away. All right, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say Nebraska makes the college football playoff. You're a believer in Frost. You're a believer. I, I think Adrian Martinez was a freshman quarterback last year for Scott Frost. He really impressed me. They play in the easier of the Big Ten divisions. All they really have to do this year is squeak by Wisconsin, and then they'll have a date with Michigan or Penn State or Ohio State, whoever represents the other Big Ten division. And 
you know, I'll take a coin flip with a guy in Scott Frost who's proven that he can go toe-to-toe with the best of them. So I acknowledge that Nebraska is not the most talented team in the country and maybe not even close, but I think that relationship between quarterback and coach and that chemistry and cohesion and just being on the same page, that can compensate for a lot. And I really, really like the combination of Scott Frost coaching his alma mater and then Adrian Martinez and his mobility leading Nebraska this season. Wow. I mean, that is bold. I don't know if mine was as bold, which was that uh, I think Texas wins the Big 12 but doesn't make the playoff. That was my bold prediction. But yours is a level of boldness that I, I don't think I've ever seen from you before. Hey, I didn't say be correct. I just said be bold. (laughs) That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be much appreciated. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can shoot us an email. Our email address is doubledouble402 at gmail.com we also have a twitter account if you want to tweet at us our handle is dbl underscore dbl podcast any feedback will be greatly appreciated thank you again for listening take care and make it a great day